So, this evening, I'd like to talk about one particular aspect of Dharma. And thinking about Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, you may have heard that, the triple gem. And Dharma, this phrase, this word that is very central. We hear it again and again, and it has many meanings. Meanings about the teachings, meanings... Uh, referring to the way things are. And central to this is the idea of dharma as the truth of things, the truth of the way things are. And when we practice the dharma, we're practicing moving towards the truth, curious about the truth. The understanding from the Buddhist tradition is that when we are more in contact with the truth that we will find that that makes us freer makes us happier brings more peace of mind and this is what I want to speak to this evening So you may have heard of, and I have been very inspired by, as have many people, a young woman named Greta Thunberg. She's a Swedish um, woman, young woman. I think she's now 16. And she started um, in, I think it was 2018, she started doing a school strike for the climate, every Friday, she would skip school and go stand on the the stairs of the government, on the front stairs of the government, with a sign saying, basically, we need to do something. It's a climate crisis. Do something. And so she, people started to join her, and um, she started to speak and now she's gotten quite a bit she spoke at the UN most recently and it's interesting thinking about what is it about her what how has she made she's made a very um, quite an impact and it's what is it about it and I want to read you a little bit from one of her speeches that she made to COP 24 uh, International uh, Climate Conference in December of 2018. And she starts by saying she's just 15 years old from a small country. And she says, I've learned that you are never too small to make a difference. And if a few children can get headlines all over the world just by not going to school, then imagine what we can all do together if we really wanted to. But to do that, we have to speak clearly. No matter how uncomfortable that may be, you only, you only speak of a green eternal economic growth because you are too scared of being unpopular. You only talk about moving forward with the same bad ideas that got us into this mess, even when the only sensible thing to do is pull the emergency brake. You are not, this is her speaking to a room full, dense with suits and important people. She says, you are not mature enough to tell it like it is. Even that burden you leave to us children. But I don't care about being popular. I care about climate justice and the living planet. Our civilization is being sacrificed for the opportunity for a very small number of people to continue making enormous amounts of money. Our biosphere is being sacrificed so that rich people in countries like mine can live in luxury. It is the sufferings of the many which pay for the luxuries of the few. And she goes on. But... Can you hear her speaking? When she speaks, she speaks very, very simply and very directly. And it's very impactful to hear what she has to say. The power of hearing truth spoken. 
to say what people are afraid to say. That there's something seriously at risk. The planet, the people, the other, all the other beings. Breaking through delusion and denial. In the Buddhist teachings, ignorance, delusion, the Pali word is avijja, and it's considered the, the core, the source of all the suffering, of our, all the grasping, the pain, the, well, really I should say the word suffering rather than pain. These, these bodies have pain regardless. But the, um, that this opposite of truth, this ignorance, causes great suffering for all of us, internally, externally. And our task in the practice is to try to find our way through, find our way to truth. And we innately value truth. This isn't something like exotic or foreign. I mean, just think about that phrase, you know. It's like the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. People have to say that all the time when they're we know the value of truth and yet to be with the truth is often challenging it's a little easier sometimes it can feel just a little more cozy a little safer to have to shade the truth to be to say or to feel or to notice the way we want things to be or think they should be rather than the way things are. As Greta put it, you're not mature enough to tell it the way it is. But we all carry some of this. We are with our story about the way it is. And so our practice is to see if we can get below that and have more and more understanding You know, we live with the ideas that when things are going well, it's just going to keep going well forever. That's a story. It changes. When it's going poorly, we say, oh, God, it's going to be like this forever. That's not true either. So the truth of the moment, the truth of our experience... To be willing to come up and be curious and to touch into it and see what's there. There's a phrase, though, popularized by Gloria Steinman. The truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. (laughs) So sometimes we're kind of wrapped up in our little story and we like it there. So it's a stretch to move into this other terrain. And I want to say it seems like in these times that we live in, it's not easy. It's not obvious. What is true? We're bombarded with information internally. We carry around all the stuff that we get from outside. We get more news, advertising, signs, different opinions from all around us. And sometimes don't you just go like, what? You know, like what's real? What's, what's the truth of it? And we even get confused inside. It's hard to find that orientation. According to fact check, our president in the 993rd day of his presidency, that was last in October 15th, had made 13,435 claims that were either specifically shown to not be true or they were exaggerations misleading us towards things that were not true. And it's not just one person at the the Democratic debates there when they fact check that every single one of the candidates made an exaggeration of some sort or another that was misleading 
we seem to have gotten into the place where somehow the simplicity or the the truth of things isn't good enough. It has to somehow always be a little more, something else. There's a wonderful, this was uh, theoretically a, um, a application for college, an application essay. And the question is, are there any significant experiences you have had or accomplishments you have realized that have helped to define you as a person? And this essay, it was actually written by a high school student, though he only submitted it as a piece of writing for his essay. But this is what he says. I am a dynamic figure, often seen scaling walls and crushing ice. I have been known to remodel train stations on my lunch breaks, making them more efficient in the areas of heat retention. I translate ethnic slurs for Cuban refugees. I write award-winning operas. I manage time efficiently. Occasionally, I tread water for three days in a row. Using only a hoe and a large glass of water, I once single-handedly defended a small village in the Amazon basin from a horde of ferocious army ants. I play bluegrass cello. I was scouted by the Mets. I am the subject of numerous documentaries. On Wednesdays after school, I repair electrical appliances free of charge. I am an abstract artist, a concrete analyst, and a ruthless bookie. Critics worldwide swoon over my original line of corduroy evening wear. I I don't perspire. I bat 400. My deft floral arrangements have earned me fame in international botany circles. Children, trust me. I can hurl tennis rackets at small moving objects with deadly accuracy. I once read Paradise Lost, Moby Dick, and David Copperfield in one day and still had time to refurbish an entire dining room that evening. The laws of physics do not apply to me. I balance, I weave, I dodge, I frolic, and my bills are all paid. On weekends to let off steam, I participate in full contact origami. (laughs) Where did he come up with these things? Years ago, I discovered the meaning of life, but forgot to write it down. I have won bullfights in San Juan, cliff diving competitions in Sri Lanka, and spelling bees at the Kremlin. I have played Hamlet, I have performed open-heart surgery, and I have spoken to Elvis but I have not yet gone to college. (laughs) You know, there's a way that that his beautiful satire of this need to constantly uh, elaborate, be more. You know, have you ever, if you've, put together a resume, especially if somebody who in the know helps you, it's like, no, you can't say that. Come on, up, up it. And it's like, here we are in this tradition where we're like, oh, you know, let go of your ego, dissolve, you know. And it's like, except when you're trying to get a job or you're trying, you know, it's like this contradictory world we live in. Reb Anderson says this not only is speaking the truth difficult when we are tangled in self-concern but lying itself provokes anxiety because of feeling of shame and fear of being caught in the lie because we feel anxious and uncomfortable when we are aware that we are lying it is easier for us to lie when we are unaware of doing so and he's using the word lie, and I, you know, I would sort of say just to shade things. Thus, careless, carelessness, and carelessness and self-deception smooth the path of deceiving others, and we can lie more convincingly if we are lying to ourselves. So sometimes we get lost in this whole story and we can feel it in ourselves and in other people and part of our practice is a commitment to allowing ourselves to feel the discomfort that is here 
when we're not truly sitting in the truth, when we're not completely sitting in the truth, to go, oh, that didn't feel good. I know I, I used to have more so, and I still sometimes now fall into that tendency to exaggerate. And um, sometimes I like to kid, maybe it's because I spent too many years in snow country and four inches of powder doesn't sound anywhere near as good as eight. So, you know, it's always like, oh yeah, and always sort of stretching it a little more. And that seems to be, and I would notice how I would say, and I'd be like, that's not, and I'm not talking about just snow. There'd be lots of things where there'd be like a little bit of a stretch. And I'd, and you know, I'd have to, and once I sort of noticed that this was happening and I was like, oh, that feels really uncomfortable. And so what I committed to doing was if I did that, because sometimes it would be out of my mouth before I even realized it. And then, so I made a commitment to myself that when it came out of my mouth, that I would correct it. Ooh, was that embarrassing. (laughs) Kind of cured me of it pretty fast. (laughs) And it was kind of funny because I'd say some, um, I'll try to give an example. Oh, I went on a 10-mile walk. Well, actually, I'd say that. I went on a 10-mile walk. And then I'd be like, no, actually, it was 7.6 miles. And of course, the other person couldn't care less, right? But it was, so it was even more embarrassing that I had to make a fuss over this thing. That, But we do it, this sort of unconscious, and then letting ourselves tune in to how it's like it doesn't feel right in us. And to name it, to be willing to name that. Not in a critical or judgmental way, but to notice when you say something to someone that isn't quite accurate. And to be willing to go, ooh, that didn't feel right. And to be willing to have that, to sit in that imperfection, to know that, yeah, Sometimes we do or say things that sometimes we want to paint it a prettier picture than it was. Oh yeah, I got that done. Well, as soon as you leave, I'm going to do it. You know? What about, I didn't do it. I'm sorry, I'll get to it right away. This attitude of Trying to be in the truth, to discover the truth, to speak the truth. It's very interesting. The Buddha, there's a story that the Buddha, many, many eons before he came, became the Buddha, that he came, he saw a previous Buddha in the story when he was a bhikkhu and his name was Samedo. And he, on seeing this enlightened being said, someday I want to be an enlightened being. And from the time he chose, he made that commitment, as the story goes, there was all these perfections, the paramis that he needed to work on of virtue and patience and determination and equanimity and loving kindness. And in one of, and in that list, is also truthfulness. And supposedly in the story, that is the one thing that he never violated. He was truthful from the time he made that commitment till he was fully awakened. And I like that story because it points that all the other qualities, all the other wholesome qualities will come along if we make a commitment to tell the truth about what's happening, having the humility to go, yeah, I'm being impatient right now. Yep, I'm really impatient. Yep, I didn't do my meditation again today. There's this, there was this, uh, 
great. I think it was on, um, oh, I think it was on the podcast Planet Money. They did this, uh, ch- they were checking on um, gyms. And gym, you know, the you buy a membership to a trend, gym, and then you can go anytime. And apparently the only way gyms really work is because lots of people buy memberships and don't go. And they, so they asked some people, they started interviewing people, like when they were there, and they said, like, how often do you come to the gym? And uh, there are a number of people, and they're like, oh, yeah, I come like three or four times a week. And and uh, I said, oh, that's great. What do you do? And, uh-huh. and they said, do you mind if we check your card and see? <laughs> and um, once every three weeks, <laughs> you know, and not really being willing to be with our own imperfections and the and the truth of the way things are but the truth can be a compass for us then we can be real whether it's about the gym or about the person we talk to about our internal experience Now, I want to be careful when I say talk about this that you don't get the idea that when the, the Buddha proposed that every truth in terms of speaking, that you always have to say, tr- speak the truth to everybody about ev- everything. That was sort of this phase that we went through, if you remember, in the 80s. It was like, well, I know you're not going to like this, but this is true, so I'm going to tell you. You know, it wasn't very kind. And the Buddha was really clear about that. He said that when you're speaking, it's not just whether it's true. It also has to, when you're speaking to someone else, you have to be speaking in such a way, or let me put it this way, you speak about something if it's going to increase the wholesome qualities, the way the suttas put it. For one who speaks of what has been seen, so you've seen something, you've done something, unskillful mental qualities increase and mental qualities decrease. If that's what happens. So wholesome qualities increase, the mind, your mind, other people's mind becomes kinder, more wholesome. He says then you want to speak about that. If it decreases, if you're raising, if you're saying something mean, causing jealousy, that is creating dissonance between people, doesn't matter if it's true or not. It's not useful. So it's important as I'm talking about truth and speaking truth that we keep in mind it has to also have a wholesome quality behind it, that that's important. And the Buddha talks about, you know, I talked about this commitment he made to telling the truth. And he talks about that without that commitment, that we kind of throw our practice away. That all that effort sitting on the cushion and trying to be wholesome. So he was giving this instruction specifically to his son, the venerable Rahula. And I'm not sure, I'm guessing in this story, I'm guessing Rahula's around 13, 14 years old. And uh, Rahula comes to visit him and they're sitting there together. And there's a water dipper. And the Buddha has, they've poured the water out of the dipper and he then points to the water dipper. And there's just this tiny little bit of water in it. And he says, Rahula... Do you see this little bit of leftover water remaining in the water dipper? Rahula says, yes, sir. And the Buddha says, that's how little of a practitioner there is in anyone who feels no shame at telling a deliberate lie. And then he tosses that little bit away. And he says, Rahula, do you see how this little bit of leftover water is tossed away? And yes, sir. Rahula, whatever there is of a practitioner in anyone who feels no shame at telling a deliberate lie is tossed away just like that. And he goes on to turn it upside down and say, 
that that it turns your practice and you upside down and that also it's you're empty and hollow if you tell a deliberate lie like the water dipper so he goes on and on making this point to rahula that it's very important that you not give away your practice your commitment to waking up by telling a lie And we can make this commitment in ourselves and we can make it again and again to just ask, what's true in this moment? What is the truth of my experience? What's happening inside me? What am I seeing around me? And when we do that, we're creating, we're allowing ourselves to value and to connect with what is true here. Putting a high priority on that. This also creates a sense of safety for other people. Think how, how different is it to be around people that you know are going to speak truthfully. That they're not going to tell you an untruth. This is one of the ways that we, va- one of the reasons we value friends authentic, sincere friends because we know that we're safe with them. That's a great phrase. And also the authenticity and the spontaneity, if we're being true, that is more available to us. It's a funny phrase. If you don't if you don't lie, you don't have to remember what you said. We don't have to remember what other people said, what we said. It's just it's the way it is. I noticed recently that I've been deeply challenged to meet how I'm feeling. What is the truth of my experience in this day and age? I noticed that there's sort of like these two channels that I'm on. This one channel that I'm fine. My life is good. I'm sitting in the Dharma. And there's sort of a business as usual kind of channel. And then there's this other channel. The world is on fire. Climate crisis is not some idea in the future. It's already here. Social injustice, environmental injustice. There's so much. So much. And it's like these two parallel tracks. And sometimes I think, God, they seem so separate. What is it that ties them together? How can I step into radically telling the truth of what's here? Decompartmentalizing. (coughs) And the truth of it is that there are no two parallel tracks. That that's a a delusion. A not, a kind of defending against the world as if somehow we could separate ourselves out from it. And the Dharma points so clearly that we're all interconnected, that the truth of the world is also arising right here. Obama expressed this quite beautifully back in the fall of 08. He says, A standard line in my stump speech during this campaign, so this was when he was running the first time, is that my politics are informed by a belief that we're all connected. That if there's a child on the south side of Chicago that can't read, that makes a difference in my life, even if it's not my own child. If there's a senior citizen in downstate Illinois that's struggling to pay for their medicine and having to choose between medicine and the rent, that makes my life poorer, even if it's not my grandparent. And if there's an Arab-American family that's being rounded up by John Ashcroft without the benefit of due process, that threatens my civil liberties. We are not separate. We are all affected by everything that happens. And we can feel it. We feel the truth of our connection with each other and everybody. There's a wonderful... um, uh, Recently I've noticed this and listened to uh, Jane Fonda 
who I can't say I've ever been like a Jane Fonda workout fan or anything. But um, she uh, is somebody who noticed this dissonance. She said, I'm just going along in my life and it's not, and yet I can see that if I really pay attention to what's here, I'm being deeply affected. And so you may have seen, she's just, she's moved herself to D.C. and every Friday she's started a movement, Fire Drill Fridays, climate protest, where she goes and leads as many people are willing to come and goes and stands on the Capitol and they... And she's been arrested, I don't know, half a dozen times for just, you know, civil disobedience. She realized, and she said she was inspired by Greta, the 15-year-old. That she needed to bring these two pieces of her life together. That the truth of the impact for her was here. This practice of truth-telling internally and externally, it starts here. The Buddha gave us instructions about mindfulness to pay attention to what's here, to to connect with what's happening in the present moment right here. The breath never lies. The body doesn't lie. They're always in the present moment being completely real. And we can tune in and be in the complete truth, the dharma of the moment. And as we do this, as we connect with our experience in a moment-to-moment way, when you sit, when you sit here, you sit at home, you're practicing the dharma. You're practicing being with the truth. And we do that at the level of the breath, the body, seeing what else is here, seeing our emotions, seeing how our thoughts are coming through. All of this is very important. It gets us closer and closer to what is happening. What is happening that is causing me to suffer? That is separating me from the beauty and wonder of this moment? What is separating me from the kindness of my heart? We all have beautiful, kind, good hearts. And it's through not paying attention, by separating, by getting caught in our stories, that we lose this capacity to express and be with these beautiful hearts. So we practice. We practice seeing what's here. What's true in this moment? And as we do that, we get more and more subtle, we get more and more tuned, more and more Uh, in touch with the subtle movements, the grasping, the leaning, the wanting something to be different. And we see, oh, that causes me to suffer. Oh, and then when I take that grasping, that agenda, that expectation, and, and I start smearing it out onto the world, I can also cause other people to suffer. And as we see this, as we pay more and more attention, we start to see subtler and subtler ways that the world, everything keeps changing. That there's an incessantness to impermanence. And that our desire to try to slow it down or stop it is an unwillingness to be with the truth. An unwillingness to be with the truth of experience as it's happening. And the more we see that, to borrow a, not, a, a line from uh, Shiha, uh, Naomi Shihab Nye, is that the more we see that, we see there, it, that it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. The truth leads us there. 
And we see how we might get caught up in our beliefs and our ideas and that this, the way we tell stories and hang on to our views and get righteous, that this is painful. There's a wonderful poem by, I want to read you, but from Rosemary Watula Tromer, a poet. She calls it as the broken do. And it's speaking about this attachment we can get to our views and opinions. She says, may I be wrong. May I come to you without my books, without my rules, without my shoulds. Let me always arrive at your door with empty hands. Let me meet you with my pockets full of blank, not convinced of anything except the possibility of everything. Let me be wrong. Let me not label anyone a liar. Let me bottom out. What is it in us that wants to be right? I have seen it turn a whole month, a whole life to ice. I have felt the chains of certainty. I have worn the shackles of listen to me. Let me be wrong. Let there be chinks in my belief. Let there be splinters in my conviction. Look how alone it is in this hour when I am so perfectly right. May my rules go begging. May my imperatives learn to crawl. May my musts all redden to rust. And may I be wrong as the wrongers are wrong. And may I unknow and unlearn and unselve and love as the lovers love. I love this song because she's pointing out the difference between the opening available in truth versus the latching on to I have it right. That's different. That's not a, wow, what's here in this moment? We actually have to let go of our beliefs and our sureness and our idea that we've got it worked out. What happens when we really tell ourselves the truth? That honesty rather than judgment. This is mindfulness in the deepest sense. And it's hard. We see sometimes when we sit with ourselves in this way, we see the not so beautiful, the habits that we might have, that, ma- that cover over the beauty that's here. Uh, Carl Jung says, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. The latter procedure, however, is disagreeable and therefore not popular. Think about it right now. Just take a moment and see what's true in your, in this moment right here, in your life, in the way you are, and maybe some of the ways you, just things you, things today that are hard for you to acknowledge that you'd rather weren't true. of anything and if you do can you think of it not in a judgmental way not as an act of unkindness but just like oh uh-huh I see that but now I want to ask you to also look at the truth in another way look at Something wholesome. Look at some way that your goodness came through today. This is an important part of the truth as well. What did you do today that was kind to yourself, to someone else? If you can't do anything, I'll give you a hint. You're here tonight. But you might just notice 
And as you notice that, can you feel this part of you as well? Might have been really simple. Saying hi to somebody, saying you cared. Sharing food, getting something done that somebody needed. All these things we do every day. And noticing, oh, this is good. This too is true. That this goodness in my heart comes through. Some of you may be familiar with Byron Katie. She has this great practice. She says that whatever comes up, just check. Is it true? Is it really true? Are you te- or are you telling a story? Sylvia Bornstein, a wonderful teacher here at Spirit Rock, says this about it. She says, I need to be able to tolerate seeing clearly all of who I am and all of what is happening. And I want to say about that being able to tolerate. Sometimes some of us have a harder time tolerating seeing our goodness than we do seeing the places that we err. So notice that. I need to not feel ashamed or afraid. If I pay attention calmly and steadily, my mind will be unbiased and its secrets will reveal themselves to me in an honest, gentle way. I will not be distressed. The pleasure I'll experience by not hiding from myself will inspire me to create the intimacy of non-judgmental, gentle honesty with everyone. We resonate with the truth. It's deeply satisfying. Have you noticed that? In the moment when you see something clearly, like you've been going along and then it's like, oh, now I really understand. Perhaps you understand something that you've done or that somebody else did. This practice of being with the truth, we might, we do it in the silence, we do it in our meditation, and we do it with others. There's a great story of uh, somebody going to, you know, on the great journey to the, to the guru on the mountain and going to them and saying, okay, oh, I made it here, okay. So I really want to talk to you. I had this amazing experience This when I was practicing and uh, the, te- the guru teacher says, oh, wait a minute. I remember you were here before. You have a partner and it seemed like they were struggling a little bit. What are they, do- how are they now? And he goes, oh, oops. They were, oh, oh, they're, they're fine. Yeah, they got over that. Everything's good. Yeah, Okay. Yeah, so I had this amazing experience in my practice. And, oh, the teacher goes, oh, well, tell me, I think I remember when you were, that um, your parents were having some struggles. I think maybe your your dad had a health issue. And uh, how how is he? And the student's like, he's fine, he's fine. I, okay, so I had this amazing experience while I, and you see, it had this, oh, and I, I excuse me, but didn't you, there were some things, you had, na- you have neighbors, right? So how are your neighbors doing? It's like, my neighbors are fine. What, why do you keep interrupting me? I'm here to talk about the Dharma. <laughs> And the teacher says, I haven't talked and asked you about anything but the Dharma. Pointing this out that it's all connected, what we do internally, externally, it's all our practice.
there was recently um, a uh, someone who has practiced with me whose parent recently died and they had been long estranged from their mother and so and they said that they were so relieved that before their mother had died they had gone and said what was on their heart to them they said what felt really true they said you weren't there for me you didn't show up in the way I thought you should and I realize now you couldn't I understand that now I know you still can't but I'm here to tell you that I forgive you as much as I can I can't seem to make the hurt completely go away but I'm not seeing you only in that way I'm here to tell you I love you this person was so relieved that they had gone and shared this before their parent died how many people is there something that we need to say to a truth it really doesn't have to be perfect doesn't mean everything goes away but to be honest and unburden ourselves and unburden them from the pretense the pretending nobody's perfect harm is done and love too as someone as uh, I can't remember who said it originally but it's like who that you love have you forgotten to tell have you not told them that you love them and what are you waiting for waiting for them not to be there anymore don't wait how are you meeting the truth in this moment can you do it in, with kindness with compassion Sylvia again she says how are you dealing with the pain in your life are you acknowledging it telling the truth responding with compassion I kind of feel like those few sentences could be the whole of the Dharma what's here and how are you responding to it the Buddha says this about the the committed practitioner the noble one he says they speak the truth they are devoted to the truth reliable worthy of confidence never knowingly deceive others for the sake of their own advantage that's a high bar but it's a lovely lovely idea and notice if there's um, what holds you back is an attachment an idea that we should all be already perfect I remember um, and this can be more of a handicap as you practice if you've been practicing and working on it for a while you might think well I should have this down by now right um, of course I'm, I'm everything's okay I'm okay I remember uh, Joanna Macy, who's a um, beautiful teacher. I remember once practicing with her and her saying, uh, don't let your practice anesthetize you. You know, be alive. There's a, a Zen teacher, Francis Harold Cook. He says, the object of Zen is not to kill all feelings and become anesthetized to pain and fear. The object of Zen is to free us to scream loudly and fully when it is time to scream so this idea of the truth isn't that it's not like that it's all going to get passive and quiet and 
everything's going to be fine. It's like, wow, it's a dynamic, wild world. And how do we acknowledge that in ourselves and the world and participate, being authentic with it? That word authentic is very um, sort of popular, I would say, right now. And But this is like authentic on a really deep way. What's here? This is Greta again. She says, I often talk to people who say, no, we have to be hopeful and to inspire each other. And we can't tell people too many negative things. But no, we have to tell it like it is. Because if there are no positive things to tell, then what should we do? Should we spread false hope? We can't do that. We have to tell the truth. Well, fortunately, I think there are positive things as well. Sometimes it helps to read. There's some, uh, um, there's some website sort of committed to telling good stories because sometimes our news is so obsessed with problems and negativity. And that's not the only truth out there. There's a lot of really good things happening in the world. And in, in, you know, in your friends, in yourself, there's lots and lots of really wholesome truth that is here. I want to read you, I want to end with a story about uh, a young man named Tim De Christopher. And he, this took place a few years ago now. And he was a young man who was concerned about environmental issues. And um, he went to, there was a oil and gas lease. And this is sort of from my neck of the woods. These oil and gas leases were actually taking place in Utah. And he went to this oil and gas lease where large swaths of land were being auctioned off to oil and gas companies. And he fundamentally um, disagreed with this being done, particularly in this case because the usually required um, environmental impact studies and analysis that were supposed to be done were not done. And they were just doing the leases without the preliminary work. And he went in just going to bear witness. But as he walked in, um, the, he was dressed in a suit and he walked in and some of the people at the door misunderstood and thought he was there as a representative from an oil and gas company to bid. And so they handed him a card, <laughs> a, a bidding card, you know. And he was like, whoa, I've got a bidding card. What do I do with that? And so he proceeded to do a form of um, nonviolent civil disobedience and started bidding on stuff, which of course he did not have the millions of dollars he was bidding. So he bidded on the, and purposefully disrupted the, the whole thing. And partially because of his disruption, and then also because of the attention that was brought because of that, um, all the leases were, um, a judge ruled that they hadn't done the necessary work and threw them all out. The, the leases were not, did not go through. But at, he was, um, you know, arraigned and charged with uh, violating the, uh, doing something that was considered illegal. And so on the day of his sentencing, um, Christopher made a statement to the judge and the federal prosecutors. And this is from his official statement. And actually one more piece of information. He, um, he was asked, the, the prosecutors tried to get him to disavow what he'd done and say he was mentally unstable and to do a plea agreement that would get him off the hook. And he said, no, I'm staying 
with the truth of this, that this was something that was wrong and this was an act of civil disobedience. So this is what he says. I know Mr. Hubber, the federal prosecutor, disagrees with me on this. He wrote that, quote, the rule of law is the bedrock of our civilized society, not acts of civil disobedience committed in the name of the cause of the day. Unquote. That's an especially ironic statement when he is representing the United States of America, a place where the rule of law was created through acts of civil disobedience. Since those bedrock acts of civil, civil disobedience by our founding fathers, the rule of law in this country has continued to go closer to our shared higher moral code through the civil disobedience that drew attention to legalized, that draws attention to legalized injustice. To be sure, a federal prison term here will deter others from entering a path of criminal behavior. That's what the prosecutor said. And Christopher responded to that by saying, the certainty of this statement not only ignores the history of political prisoners, it ignores the severity of the present situation. Those who are inspired to follow my actions are those who understand that we are on a path towards catastrophic consequences of climate change. They know their future and the future of their loved ones is on the line, and they know we are running out of time to turn things around. The closer we get to that point where it's too late, the less people have to lose by fighting back. The power of the Justice Department is based on its ability to take things away from people. The more that people feel that they have nothing to lose, the more that power begins to shrivel. The people who are committed to fighting for a livable future will not be discouraged or intimidated by anything that happens here today. And neither will I. I will continue to confront the system that threatens our future. Given the destruction of our democratic institutions that once gave citizens access to power, my future will likely involve civil disobedience. Nothing that happens here today will change that. I don't mean that in any sort of disrespectful way at all. But you don't have that authority. You have authority over my life, but not my principles. Those are mine alone. Radical truth-telling. Radical truth-telling. Internally, to the deepest levels of the Dharma, that is not separated from everything that's around us. We're in a time for all of us to see what's true. What's true for you? How are you moved to be in the truth, to explore the truth? Let's sit for a moment. Let the words settle. Thank you all so much for coming here this evening, for sitting together in the Dharma, in the truth together. And I encourage you to explore, you know, uh, my presentation tonight had a certain, there was speaking about truth in several of many, many ways. But I encourage you to explore what does this mean for you? If you went through your day exploring what's true for me right now? 
what's true in my practice, what's true in the way I'm relating to the people in my daily life, what's true in my personal experience. I hope you'll take it as a practice and be curious and have fun. Thank you. Be well. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.